0: When we talk about symbols associated with a brand, there are some quite unique ones. And I wonder if you know the history of why a certain symbol is associated with a certain brand. For example, why is the basketball team in Los Angeles called the Lakers? Why is a sports franchise named after a body of water? It doesn't strike fear into the hearts of opponents, such as if it was an animal like the bear or the Grizzlies, or the Tigers. Can you imagine? We are the Lakers. Fear us. We are a body of water. Well, the reason the franchise in Los Angeles is called the Lakers is because the franchise was originally from the state of Minnesota, which is the land of 10,000 lakes. Or perhaps you may wonder, why are the Utah Jazz called the jazz? What does Utah have anything to do with jazz music? Well, again, if some of you have lived long enough, you will remember that the franchise in Utah began in New Orleans, New Orleans being the birthplace of jazz music. And therefore, when the franchise moved, they took the name jazz with them. And so, while people don't remember the significance of the symbol associated with the brand, there is a rich history. How about some non-sports example? What is the symbol of the Lacoste brand? Some of you know it to be the crocodile. Can you imagine? Why would you start a clothing line company and have as a symbol on your shirt a crocodile? Well, it was named after René Lacoste. Lacoste was a world-famous tennis player in the late 1920s. He won several major tournaments, including Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and the French Open. Because of his tenacious play, his friends called him Le Crocodile, the Crocodile. And so Lacoste accepted this nickname and had a tiny crocodile embroidered on his tennis blazers. Well, when he added it to a line of shirts that he designed, the symbol caught on. Hundreds of thousands of people today around the world wear Lacoste shirts. And there's a crocodile on it. But they have no idea why it is there. Perhaps some of you fashionistas wear Comme des Garcons t-shirts. It is a Japanese label with a French name. It's ironic that this women's brand has a French name that translates like boys. But you know their famous logo. It's a heart with two eyes. What's the symbolic significance of this heart with two eyes. Well, if you were to ask the designer, Ray Kawabuko, you'll find out that there is no meaning to this symbol. Whatever we see is what it is, according to her. Can you imagine? A symbol that has no meaning. It's just simply a heart with two eyes. That's kind of sad if you think about it. A symbol that has no meaning, or a symbol where people have forgotten the significance of the meaning. Sadly, it is the way for how people view the cross today. People have forgotten the original meaning of the cross. They find no significance in it other than it is a nice piece of jewelry associated with Christianity, or some people wear it as good luck charms. Still others wear it as some sort of force field to ward off evil spirits. For others, it is a piece of art. It looks good in their homes. It's a symbol of Christianity. But the deep meaning of it has been lost in this generation. Sadly, for many today, it is no longer a daily reminder of God's unconditional love for you and for me to save us from our sins by giving us eternal life through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, God Himself. Do we remember and know the true meaning of the cross? On this Good Friday, let's be reminded of the cross and the significance which it brings by examining three crosses mentioned in the Bible. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 3, verses 32 to 43. First of all, let me talk about the offense of the cross. If you were to go back in time, and you wore as a piece of jewelry or on a t-shirt, the symbol of the cross, the Romans would be horrified. They would think, you're crazy. What in the world are you doing having a cross emblazoned on your shirt? or wearing a cross as a piece of jewelry. Because the cross was a symbol of death. It was used by the Romans to strike fear in the hearts of the world. It was a means by which they controlled the people under them. According to Roman custom, the penalty of crucifixion was always preceded first by scourging and beatings. And after these beatings, The condemned person had to carry the cross, or at least the the traverse beam of the cross, to their place of execution. And following along the road, they would be insulted by the people who would gather to make fun of these deserving criminals who deserve this horrible punishment by crucifixion. That's why Jesus had to carry the cross on His way to Golgotha or Calvary. On arrival at the place of execution, the cross was lifted up and the sufferer was stripped naked and then also placed on the cross, bound first with cords, and then four nails were driven into his body, two on the hands and two at the feet, to the wood of the cross. Finally, a a placard called the is bearing the name of the condemned man And his sentence or accusation was placed on the top of the cross. When the cross was lifted up, the entire weight of the person would now hang on those four nail points. And every breath that the person took would shoot agonizing pain throughout the entire body. Because one would have to force themselves to be lifted up, pushing up against the nail points, just to take a breath of air. That's why everyone was offered anesthetic of some sort to relieve this agonizing pain which Jesus refused. The birds of prey, the vultures were there waiting, hanging around waiting to eat the corpses. And sadly, it was not a quick death, Often, friends and relatives could come and talk with those who were crucified. In fact, some were often given food, and they would linger on the cross for days. To shorten the punishment and to lessen this terrible suffering, often the accused legs were broken. This custom was common with the Jews... Not very common with the rest of the Roman world because the Jews didn't want the bodies to hang over the Sabbath. In this way, it was possible for the corpse to be taken down the very evening of the execution. Among the Romans, though, the corpse were often not taken down unless such removal had been specifically authorized by the Roman officials. If you remember, it was Pilate who granted the request of Joseph of Arimathea to take down the body of Jesus. So cruel was the crucifixion and the cross that Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. It's interesting that hundreds of years later, it was Jesus himself who was responsible for the abolishment of crucifixion as a means of capital punishment. In 337 A.D., Constantine abolished this infamous punishment in memory and honor of Jesus Christ when he converted to Christianity. It is remarkable that the Bible records the crucifixion of Christ with these simple words, and they crucified him. Mark 15, 24. Why didn't the Bible go into more details about the process of crucifixion? Why doesn't it talk more about the suffering and the anguish of Jesus on the cross? He surely suffered for us. But I believe that the Bible wants the focus not on how Jesus died, but on why Jesus died. And Jesus died for you and for me. And he died on the cross in one of the most horrible ways to die for mankind. You know, that day of Jesus' death, there were three crosses on Golgotha or on Calvary as mentioned in the Bible. I want to propose that each of these crosses represents an attitude we have today. And if I were to ask you When you look at the cross, which attitude do you display? And you have to choose one. Which one of these attitudes would it be? We pick up in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 34. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was crucified, two others were crucified next to him. They were not simply common criminals. They must have done something that their offenses deserved for them this type of terrible punishment by death through crucifixion. The Bible describes them as criminals. And they were placed on either side of Jesus as if to associate Jesus as a terrible criminal, like the both of them, deserving of this same type of punishment. But the Bible tells us Jesus proclaims, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus knew His mission and the reason for going to the cross was to die for the sins of mankind, and so Jesus forgave them. Can you imagine that? Forgiving the very people who are hurting you, the people who are responsible for the pain and agony you are suffering, the ones who are now taking your life. Can you imagine if you could forgive people like that? Well, Jesus did. Jesus said to God the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If Jesus can forgive the very people who are taking his life, what about us forgiving those who have wronged us? I came across recently a letter written from the Ravensbrück concentration camp, a Nazi concentration camp for the extermination of the Jews. And this letter was found pinned to the clothing of a dead child there. And the words are this: "O oh Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill-will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from these troubles. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. How can a child write these words? Perhaps only if one knows what Christ did for them, when He forgives us of our sins. This child's letter reflects the very attitude of Jesus when He went to the cross. Not one ounce of regret, nor anger, no desire for revenge. It was all about love, His love for you and for me. Never forget that. But look at the response of the people there looking on the hill of Calvary that day when they looked upon Jesus. Verse 35 to 39. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Note this, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. All around Jesus were men and women Who were mocking him. From the religious leaders to the people to the soldiers. The criminals to his left and right. Not a compassionate face around. And Jesus would have looked around. These are the people that he was dying for. You know if I was there that day. And as a follower of Jesus Christ. Reading this makes my blood boil. It makes me mad. I want to yell. Hey people, hey mockers, don't you know that Jesus is dying for your sins so that you can live, so that you can have eternal life, so that you can have salvation, so that you can have life abundant? What are you doing? And one who was hanging on the cross himself, imagine, he says to Jesus, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. This thief, this criminal on the cross represents rebellion. The first cross is the cross of rebellion. The cross of rebellion is the attitude that says, I can do it myself. I look at the cross, it means nothing to me. It may be beautiful artistically. It's good for some people, but it's not good for me. I don't need it. That is reflected in the attitude of this criminal hanging there. I'm leaving this world on my own terms. Who cares? Who cares? My own terms, my own way. Jesus, you save yourself. I I don't need any saving. You know, Jesus could have come down from the cross at any time. But the Bible tells us he remained on the cross and he willingly gave up of his life so that he could save the very people who were mocking him. And so you can imagine these people, they're basically all telling Jesus, We don't need you. We don't need you, Jesus. Save yourself. We don't need to be saved. People who see a cross and think nothing about it really are thinking something about it. They're saying it has no significance on me. And this is rebellion. This is rebellion. It's saying to Jesus, I don't need to obey you. I don't need to obey your words. We are clenching our hands in the face. We're shaking it at God And we're saying, we'll live our own lives the way we want to live it. We don't need you. You know, sadly, there are many Christians like this today. They look at the cross. It means nothing to them. They're living their lives in open rebellion to God and His words. They are mocking Jesus. They're saying, the cross means nothing to us much anymore. I hope that's not your attitude, but sadly it is the attitude of many around the world and it is represented by this first cross. Look at verse 40 to 42. But the other, the other criminal answering, rebuked him saying, Do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds... But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here we are introduced to the second cross. If you would allow me, let's call this the cross of remorse. The gospel writer, Mark, speaking of the same event, tells us that at the beginning both robbers were mocking Jesus. Both of them. They were laughing at Jesus. But then somehow suddenly this one wakes up. Perhaps it comes now in his mind, the sudden realization, I'm going to die. What in the world am I doing? Suddenly he realizes that I am going to die. And I would like salvation. I, I can't save myself. He realizes that he may indeed get what he deserves, and he is scared. He is scared. You know, there's a common saying, there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, there are a lot of people who don't pay their taxes, so there's really only one certainty in life, and that's death. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what genetic makeup you have. You and I will die. How people die and the circumstances that surround it differ, but death comes to all. You know, my heart breaks when I read about the men and women who die from coronavirus. They're not even able to say a final goodbye to their loved ones. Their loved ones are not able to hug them. In fact, in Spain, it's only a five minute funeral. No final words, no words of remembrances. Some of you may want a nice send off for your loved one. But you know, life doesn't guarantee you'll have one. The only thing life guarantees is death. I think this criminal finally comes to this realization I'm going to die and i need a savior it happens to all of us for christians and non-christians alike when we come to the realization of our own mortality it changes our focus it shifts our thinking we're no longer laughing at others we become very serious with life and here this criminal in verse 41 realizes that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He is not like us. He doesn't deserve what we're going through. He is different. He doesn't deserve this. And I want His grace and His mercy. He saw in Jesus someone who could save Him. And so He showed remorse. My friends, remember, there is salvation even until you take your Last breath on earth. It's never too late in this lifetime. It will be too late after this life. Imagine the very man who was mocking Christ when he realized that he was going to die Ask the very man he mocked for help. If you were in Jesus' shoes, would you do it? I may not. But Jesus does. But Let me stop here and without knowing the response of Jesus to this criminal sudden change of heart and request, let me propose that His cross is a symbolic representation of a cross of remorse, the cross of remorse. The idea that when we see the cross or when we think about our own lives, or we come to a moment of of self-reflection, we realize, I need to do better. I need to be a better person. I need to make a contribution to this world before my life is over. I need to live a worthy life. And that's admirable. Don't get me wrong. But it is not a cross that saves. The cross of remorse, the cross of desiring to live a better life, to be a better person, does not save. There are so many that try to make amend, to make up for their life with good works, but good works do not save. Even if you're truly sorry for something, being truly sorry does not save. Even if you're truly sorry and try to make up for it through actions, it doesn't save. Right? We realize and we know that sorry isn't enough in many cases. In the legal system, there are many people ...who are very sorry in jail. But their remorse and their apologies... ...do not keep them from a lifetime in jail. There are many children who are sorry... ...for their actions to their parents. But that doesn't mean that they will not suffer... ...the punishment that their parents doles out. You see, being sorry for one's sin... ...and trying to make up for it in penitent act... ...is admirable. But it is insufficient to save it does not save. Good works does not save. Sadly, when many people see the cross or perhaps they recognize that it's Good Friday and they should come to church virtually or physically and they examine their life and they think to themselves, I need to be a better person. I need to live a better life. I'll try to make amends. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better father. I'll be a better businessmen, those are all admirable, but they do not save you. The penalty of your sin is still not paid for. Jesus didn't have to forgive this second criminal. It was a request. It was an ask. But it doesn't mean that it would be granted. But wonderfully, look at verse 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The third cross, the one Jesus is is hanging on, is the cross of redemption. The cross of redemption is the only cross that saves. The criminal asked to be saved, and Jesus took the punishment of this criminal without any works involved. His simple trust in the person of Jesus and Jesus took upon the sins of this man and that's why Jesus could assure him, today you will be with me in heaven, you will be with me in paradise. This criminal was redeemed. He didn't have to serve out what he deserved. That is redemption. The criminal says, I can't do it by myself anymore. I I need you, Christ. I'm going to die and I just want to be with you. Christ assures him with these simple words, you will be with me. This criminal on the cross, nailed to the cross, could do nothing to save himself. It is a beautiful picture of salvation. He couldn't get down from the cross to do some good works to save himself. He had to trust in what Jesus was going to do when He died in His place. How can that cross give us redemption? It's because of Jesus' shed blood. He dies in our place. That's how redemption is defined. The very word that means to buy back, to pay the price, to be set free. Jesus paid the price. He bought us back and set us free from what we deserve. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The cross is a ubiquitous symbol. You see it all over the place. For some, it is jewelry. For others, it is art. For still some, it's a t-shirt print. But when we see the cross, what does it remind you of? What does the cross signify for you? Does it signify a cross of rebellion? I can do this myself. I don't need Christ. I'm going to die and I'll get what I deserve. Let it be. Or perhaps for some of you it is a cross of remorse. Well, I'm sorry, I need to be a better person. I need to do more good works. Or for others, will the cross be a cross of redemption? A reminder that you and I cannot save ourselves. Jesus paid the price of our sin so that you and I don't have to pay the penalty of the wages of sin, which is death. So the next time you see a cross... Realize that it's not simply a nice jewelry or a piece of art. It's not a good luck charm. It is your mark as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is your branding. It is a brand that says, I cannot save myself, but Jesus died in my place so that I can have eternal life free to live for Him. I hope on this Good Friday, when we are reintroduced again to the cross of Christ, we have the right attitude. It is a symbol, not for us necessarily to be a better person, but it is a symbol for us to be reminded of the grace of God through His Son, Jesus, something undeserved, and yet He did it for us, for me, for you. Let me close with a wonderful hymn. It is the hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. The words are beautiful. Let me share them with you. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. The author captures it well. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Verse 2, Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. The divine Son of God, God Himself, the worthy sacrifice, is the only one that can die for us. And he left heaven to come to this earth to die. The third verse is this In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. My friends, Jesus died for you and for me. And you and I may be living a rebellious life. We may not have cared much about him or the things he desires for us to do. But just know he died for you and he loves you with an everlasting love. And so I hope our response is this as the chorus writes. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown. To cherish it. To value it. To cling to it. My friends, the cross is not simply a symbol. It is a daily reminder that there is a Savior. He died for you and He died for me. And I place my trust in Him. Because of that, I have eternal life. Praise be to God. What does the cross symbolize to you? I hope it is not simply a reminder of rebellion or of remorse, but it is a reminder of the Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of the cross a horrible death that you died for us. But yet it isn't necessarily about the way you died. It is why you died. And it was to save mankind. May it be that whenever I look upon the cross, I will be reminded that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus he died for me, and by placing my faith in Him, I have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me, for all of us, for the world. May those who don't know you as their personal Savior place their trust in you. May those who know you and are in our relationship with you strengthen our walk with you, Because we are reminded daily when we see the cross that you have saved us. You are our redeemer. You purchased us and bought us back so that we can call you Father and you can call us your children. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.